0: Now you listen to me. The most important thing that you must remember, that is, always appear half drunk. If almost think, you look helpless. You understand that? Yes, teacher.
1: Okay everybody, welcome back once again to the Dragons Forever podcast. We're now on episode 9, so we're nearly there towards the end of season 1, and today I am joined by Derek Doris, all the way from Ireland, and we're going to be talking about Wing Chun on screen. If you want to get involved with the podcast and you want to join us as a guest, uh, feel free to reach out to me on either Twitter or on Instagram. And just to confirm for everybody, we've got a new Twitter and a new Instagram handle. It's at Dragons Forever Pod, which is Dragons, the number four ever pod. All right. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. Hi, Derek. Welcome to the Dragons Forever Podcast. Hello, Hardy. It's uh, great to be here. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Thank you. I'm glad we've finally got round to doing this podcast. Uh, I know we actually started conversations on Twitter uh, about Christmas time 2019. All those many
0: years ago. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's mad just trying to get people together during um, these very strange and weird times. So it's uh, wonderful to have you on the podcast finally. Why don't you give us a bit of a summary about what we're going to be talking about today?
0: Well, I suppose taking your lead, I, I, I wanted to talk about, I suppose, a movie that's close to my heart and a movie that has affected my life in, I suppose, many important ways. Uh, but also a movie that I think is pretty damn important to the um, the history of, of not just Wing Chun on movies, but actually martial arts in movies and kung fu in movies. Um, in that it, it was so good, but also in that um, it was probably overlooked quite a lot by... Um, Uh, not necessarily hard kung fu movie fans, but I'd say maybe uh, those kung fu movie fans who um, uh, have a kind of passing interest in the genre. I think it's one of those movies that's got overlooked a lot um, throughout the years. Uh, And for that reason, I'm always, always eager to um, big it up and um, praise it uh, to the heavens as much as I can. We know it as uh, "Prodigal Son," bagai uh, jai uh, is the the Chinese title, um, which I think directly translates as um, "the spoiled son of a of a rich family." Um, but the the best translation they could come up with for in English was "The Prodigal Son." It's um, really really uh, got Wing Chun right. Um, of all the Wing Chun movies, it's the one mo- Wing Chun movie that gets the martial art right. It understands it, and it in fact it builds its entire plot around the uh, intricacies and subtleties of the actual martial arts system itself. Um, so for that reason, you know, I just couldn't, and can't say enough good things about it. I'm not foolish. because you don't know how to teach. So what was the hook, firstly? How did you get
1: into uh, martial arts cinema?
0: Well, uh, well, I'm 42 now, so we're going back to early 90s, um, to when I was a teenager. Um, and this would have been probably... Oh, You know, I I wouldn't be if I was to guess. I'd say around 90, anywhere between 92 and 94. Um, But I don't know if you remember. um, Channel Four used to do um, a series, a couple of seasons every year. They do a couple of martial art-related seasons. One year they did, and I always, I always know that martial art aficionados and martial art movie aficionados will know this season because it seems to be a sort of you know keystone moment in a lot of our lives. But one year they did a Hong Kong Chinese ghost story season.
1: Yeah, I remember.
0: Uh, and I, I think they were on like Friday nights or Saturday nights or something. But I remember coming home. And I used to race home to you know turn them on. And you know this is the pre-DVD market days. It's uh-huh. the pre, it, you know VHS was around, but there wasn't. There was never much of a VHS market, and you certainly wouldn't get unusual films on VHS. Um, so you really were limited to what the TV presented uh, you with. And all of a sudden, Channel Four was you know unloading on you these. You know, really brilliant, really unusual, really sort of esoteric films from um, the 1970s and 1980s, Uh, and we were getting to see unusual films for the first time, and I was always into movies, and I still am into movies in a big way, even beyond Kung Fu movies. and I actually didn't know. I just saw Chinese ghost story season. I didn't have any idea that they were going to be martial art related. Uh, I turned them on cause I just, I was interested in, you know, uh, I've always been interested in Asian culture and I wanted to see, you know, some, something that I'd never seen before. And all of a sudden I was, you know, confronted with these incredible, incredibly choreographed fight scenes exploding from the TV screens, um, before my eyes, you know, night after night, week after week as, as they were going through the various different films. Um, and the films in particular that caught my attention were the old classic Zoo Warriors from, I think it was 84, that it was originally released um, with Yun Bu, who we're going to talk a lot about um, tonight. And um, the second film that really caught my attention was uh, Mr. Vampire, which again, um, you know, stars uh, a, a, one of the, the great uh, Hong Kong cinema actors. Um, who we're going to talk a lot about tonight again because he's in The Prodigal Son, is, of course, um, Lan Ching-Ying, who is pretty much my favorite martial art movie star ever. Um, and these were the two fil- first films that really hooked me into um, the genre of martial arts. Even, like, I had seen Enter the Dragon, I had seen, um, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the classic, classic sort of Bruce Lee movies, but these were the movies that really um, got hold of me somehow and um made me realize okay there's something really appealing to them um to me about these particular movies more so than maybe the americanized or the made for america movies that um, maybe bruce lee was um perfecting um, uh, during the, the 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 70s um so yeah i suppose if i was to say if it was the name two films i'd say zoo warriors and mr vampire would probably be the those two films
1: Two fantastic movies and funny actually i remember actually writing to channel four i talked about this i think i might talk about this in the original pilot for the uh, podcast but i remember writing to channel four after that i think it was after that season and um and writing saying oh you've got to put some Jackie Chan on and can do you do you have the rights to like drunken master 2 blah 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 and i remember being so thrilled when i came back home i don't know i don't know if I, after school one day and i was like oh i got this le- i got this letter it was from channel 4 and it was like oh um, unfortunately we don't own the rights to X, Y and Z but we are going to be playing like Armour Guard and Think project day and something like that and i remember that being one of my my big highlights as a geek being like yes <laughs> i think channel four are gonna do another season because i missed some of the movies and i was like oh, i can't believe i missed them and like you said this is all pre-dvd this is pre-netflix and the internet so uh you know if you missed it you missed it what is your name <laughs> later and today you want to talk about the the accuracies of uh, the depiction of Wing Chun on
0: screen so yes please I'm, I'm rubbing my hand with glee my hands with glee just at the prospect of being able to start getting on my on my uh most uh prominent of hobby horses um but yes I think you know I think we all know that um Wing Chun has undergone a boost in popularity over the years and um, especially since um the um it's since 2008 and the Ip Man film um you know, lots of different martial arts have moments in the sun. You know, um, actually, when I was doing ninjutsu back in the 1990s, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out. <laughs> we had a load of kids, their parents showing up with their kids, trying to get their kids into the into the school because everybody wanted to be a ninja because all of a sudden Teenage Mutant Ninja Tur- uh, Turtles had made ninjutsu popular. Uh, I think the, the same did happen to an extent with Ip Man. I don't, I'm not sure if it if it gave rise to that much of an influx on students into the various clubs, but certainly. Um, uh, Wing Chun became a lot more prominently mentioned um you know we all know that Bruce Lee was a Wing Chun student and um you know Wing Chun has been you know uh, relatively uh, high profile martial art ever since the ascents of Bruce Lee but I actually think um that was only really in martial art communities I think outside of martial art communities it wasn't until the Ip Man movies came out uh, that Wing Chun became more broadly popular and like any martial art, or like anything that becomes popular, you're always going to have your detractors. And I think we've seen a lot of detractors of Wing Chun over the years. And, you know, I'm sad to say as a Wing Chun practitioner that a lot of them have a point. I think, you know, modern Wing Chun has been taught in a way that is has gone away from the roots of what Wing Chun was originally supposed to be. And I think if you look at a film like The Prodigal Son and then compare it to more modern-day Wing Chun movies, and I I actually like Ip Man movies, but I do see major inaccuracies in the way Wing Chun is depicted. And I know people are going to say, you're being a real dork here. It doesn't matter about how it's been depicted. It's about how you enjoy the film. But as a Wing Chun practitioner, I can't help but look at the way Donnie Yen fights in, in the Ip Man movies and go, that's not how you apply Wing Chun. But it's not Donnie Yen's fault. It's not the the, the 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 makers of the movies' fault. If you look at the clubs, a lot of people are actually teaching Wing Chun in the same type of way. So my, from my view anyway, the Prodigal Son versus films like the Yip Man movies, um, has become a kind of parallel or a mirror for the way Wing Chun was originally taught and the way Wing Chun is being increasingly taught today. Um, and I think the big problem all centers around um, the limitations of Wing Chun I think you are you know pe- people who do martial arts you know they're loath to point out the weaknesses of their own system but the simple fact is that every single system was built for a particular purpose uh, and as a result it, once you go outside that range of purpose you know limitations arise uh, and there's no you know two ways about it Wing Chun was de- devised as a close quarters martial art it was all about being in the other person's face getting into the opponent's territory uh, short and uh, quick striking making them uh, force them onto the back foot and then following them um, and that really was what essentially Wing Chun was always about um, if uh, what happened then was people said well how do I box you know how do I fight mid-range um, how do I fight long range with Wing Chun and you know Wing Chun practitioners said Uh, well I've never been taught that so they said well just use the same type of stances and the result is now you have guys standing on the back foot with the weight on the back foot and facing off against an opponent who's standing two meters away and we've seen plenty of YouTube exhibitions of people of Wing Chun practitioners getting their ass kicked um, by Muay Thai fighters or more um, quick boxing related martial arts um, because the guy standing on the back foot inviting the guy onto him, like there's there's two rules of martial arts, like since time immemorial, and that is, um, you know, the person on the high ground will always be at an advantage, and the person on the front foot will always be at the advantage. Um, and in Wing Chun, we do step on the back foot, but only when you're in close contact with the other person, so the person can't grab you and swing you left and right. You've got the actual, the weight in your back foot, which gives you a strength to be able to resist those those close quarters, grappling attempts. But as soon as there's a disconnect, as soon as there's a distance between you and your opponent, um, you get off that back foot and you get onto that front foot like every other martial art discipline does. You know, if you said to a boxer, um, you, know, you, you know, fight off the back foot, they'll look at you as if you have two heads. Um, whereas if you go into most clubs now i'm not speaking for everyone because i haven't been to every wing chung club but certainly most clubs that i've seen um teaching wing chung you will see guys facing off against opponents in sparring situations standing two meters away from them standing on the back foot because they've been told to do that by practitioners this is just one example it's probably the worst example um of how uh, the understanding of the function of wing chung has been lost um not just in the actual way in which wing Chun is taught but actually um and the way Wing Chun is now being presented cinematically. and I think you go back to the early 80s and you look at a movie like The Prodigal Sun, you realize, well, it wasn't always understood that way. You know, one of the things we know that Samuel Hung does is he, he delves deep into um, the martial arts that he decides to depict on screen. And he did a hu- very impressive deep dive on Wing Chun. And the way he lays out Wing Chun in The, um, the Prodigal Sun movie is, is a lesson to... You know a lot of uh, young practitioners obviously yes they augmented with shaolin fighting and techniques and uh, maybe even a little bit of, bit of dragon kung fu and um Ga. they they make it a little bit more the stances are a little bit wider in certain times and they use a lot of high kicks which we wouldn't use in wing chung um but that's very much for dress purposes is just to make it look a little bit more fantastic um but for the most part, um, the way in which particularly uh, Lam Ching Ying fights in uh, *The Prodigal Son* is a lesson in the principles of Wing Chun, whether it be movie making or actual tra- training in the actual art in- on the ground.
1: You're talking about one of my favourite all-time movies, uh, so you don't definitely don't need to sell it to me. I'm absolutely loving your uh, your breakdown um, of uh, *Of Prodigal Son*, which I totally agree. I think it goes above and beyond the superficial uh, that movie I think when you actually break it down there's a, there's so many things inside that film that uh, sort of complement what uh, sort of traditional Wing Chun Sifus would tell you uh, I love the scene in the movie where uh, Lam Ching-Ying steps on Yun Bu's foot tied how come you're not making a move? Digging into his foot with his heel so that he will start the fight to bring the fight to i think it's a, i think that's the scene where he's fighting frankie chan i think right. yeah on the bridge and i think is absolutely phenomenal the way it's shot and put together uh but is there a, a certain scene for you that stands out in um not only maybe not only prodigal son i mean is there a, a standout sort of Wing Chun, uh fight scene that you think really exemplifies um what you're talking about there
0: i think first of all you just named my favorite um moment in that entire film which is actually um uh Ying standing on the heels of young Biao. um and or sorry, on the toes of Yumi know, when forcing him to push him into into close contact. When I'm when I teach Wing Chun, and when I did teach Wing Chun Wing at, at a school level, and when I uh, you know helped my friends out with Wing Chun points, I always point that out to say you know yeah you know the best thing for you before you get into close contact with the guy or the opponents, um, you've got basically. Uh, a, a meter of, um, of flack, a meter of, of territory in which you're going to take a lot of flack just to get into the position where your martial art is going to be relevant and I always, um, you know, scene check that particular point in the movie, I say think about um, uh. Long Yi Tai, uh, which is the Lam Ching, uh, the Lam Ching Yin character in uh, The particle of the Sun, think about Lung Yi Tai and the way in which he stands on his, Long Jan's um, toes and forces the student to push him into close uh, close contact. It's almost like, it, it, the reason I love that scene is because it's almost like Samo Hung turning to the audience going, Wing Chun is a close quarter system. So um, Lung Yi Tai knew if he was going to fight this prince who's uh, a, a proponent of the, the, the dragon style kung fu I think northern dragon style kung fu he knew he was going to have to get in close and avoid those wide ranging blows that med- medium range boxing martial arts are so good at and we've seen on YouTube plenty of times we see Wing Chun practitioners move in um, trying to move in with their, their kind of little weird back foot shuffle trying to get into close contact and just get their head pummeled off them because you know boxers will just pick them off um, the, I always teach, teach my students the way to get in is to get in as quickly as possible with your head covered it doesn't matter if it doesn't look great just make sure you're not giving up any um you know control points get in and make contact once you've got contact once you've got two arms in the guy you can you know you're in the ascendancy because you've been trained in it and very few people like fighting at that distance wing Chun people live there so you've got that advantage so from that point of view that scene That particular instance in the scene—that's certainly my favorite moment in the film. My favorite scene, my favorite Wing Chun scene in the movie, is certainly um, the bridge scene. I don't think you can go beyond the bridge scene. Um, I think even I think there's a for those who are interested in the film and for interested interested in hearing a far better commentary in the film than my own. um, I think you should uh, look at the Hong Kong Legends DVD. This is the problem with streaming these Uh, days—you don't get the extras. But there's um, the commentary by Bay Logan on. the Prodigal Son is an extraordinary commentary. And he himself talks about that scene a lot and in detail in, the, in, in his commentary in that movie. Uh, I'm not really into commentaries, but this is one commentary I've always been, been, been sure to watch after I watch the movie. I go back and watch the movie with the commentary. Um, but he, he talks about how that scene is, in for his money, the best martial arts duel um, uh, he's ever seen in, in any uh, form of martial arts cinema, and I would totally agree with him, I had thought that before I ever even heard the commentary, you know, back when I was watching my my VHS I was stunned by that particular scene uh, particularly the way in which uh, Long Tai played by Lam Ching Ying, the way in which he executes those quick bridging movements, it was all about that bridging movements, the the, the, the gan sales the, the the bonk sales, but the bridging movements, he's constantly, every time he strikes he constantly gets the other hand on, on, on uh, Frankie Chan's elbows, in order to be able to keep him where he is, and Dole out the next punch. Um, so, from a from a Wing Chun point of view, I absolutely adore that scene. But also, just from a, a martial arts cinema uh, fan point of view. It's just an extraordinary scene. Like Samo Hung's directing of it, the action direction, the movements, um, the way in which the the, 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 the bridge is lit from both the the uh, restaurants on the left hand side and the the street on the right hand side, the guys in the background going past on the on the punting boats, um and in between in on the foreground you have um the greatest cat and mouse um uh, battle in any martial arts scene as far as I'm concerned between uh Lung yi Thai and um uh yeah, there was the prince played by Frankie Chan in that movie Um in terms of uh, Wing Chun in other movies I suppose I you, I would uh, you I would have to stick with Sammo Hung movies because Sammo Hung you know practiced Wing Chun, studied Wing Chun uh, in order to be able to make these movies. He obviously had made Warriors 2 a couple of years earlier before The Prodigal Son which was I think one of the first Wing Chun movies first a dedicated Wing Chun movie um, and since then I think you'd see uh, you've seen a lot of Wing Chun being expressed in Sammo Hung scenes regardless of whether the movie is about Wing Chun or not uh, we talked about Knockabout earlier on actually ourselves and um, the end of Knockabout the final scene and knockabout um, that, that hilarious um, the two monkey scene the way he goes up against him, the, and the initial uh, sequence of movements he uses against um, the protagonist in that particular scene is Pure Wing Chong. If you just watch the bong so movements, if you watch the actual trapping movements, the actual the fukso bridging bridging ver- slash trap, uh, and the quick strikes, um, there's about. 30 or 40 seconds of pure Wing Chun there. And again, whenever I'm watching that movie, I absolutely revel in that moment. Um, not only because I love Wing Chun, but because, you know, I think I genuinely think Wing Chun, on, when it's done right on film, can look really good. There seems to be a belief in, in a lot of Hong Kong cinema that, you know, the wide-ranging, the, the distance fighting, like the, almost like the, the, the guys having a sword fight, there's so much distance between them. Um, that they would be the, the, the more impressive fight scenes. But I think if you get guys, two guys together in a gritty brawl, add in a couple of Blanc sales, a couple of Fuch sales, and you're going to improve the quality of that fight uh, no end. There's
1: one scene that stands out to me, and it wasn't like a full-on uh, Wing Chun movie. It was just elements of Wing Chun brought in, uh, especially because it was very close quarters. And it's the scene... Um, in uh, Jet Li's movie, uh, Danny the Dog, which I think was re- renamed Unleashed or something.
0: Unleashed, oh, yeah, it, and there's a, that's scene. a scene when they're in the, in the in the they're in
1: the toilet, in the toilet, okay. yeah, that's yeah. right. It's him and uh, Mike <laughs> Lambert, I think it is, and uh, and it's just you know it's it's very short, but because obviously being a big fan of Wing Chun, when I saw that and I saw the way that um, I think it was Whooping, I think either Whooping out or did it or Corey Ewan did the action um, direction on it, and um, because it was so it was so well shot, but that you know you've got you know you could see there's 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 wing chun movements in that fight scene,
0: and I think there kind of had to be really because of the the way in which they had now obviously I think they had framed the uh, the scene in particular maybe to I think when it was Unleashed made it was probably.
1: Oh it's gotta be early two thousands or sometime.
0: Is there, was Aren't it early so it was pre it was pre Okay, well fair oh, yeah. them, I'll I'll saying was, it was pre Man. I was, yeah. was, was thinking I was thinking maybe they were doing it in, yeah, it would have been of course, yeah. So they assume maybe they were doing it in reaction to the, the the popularity of Wing Chun So they weren't, they were just bringing it in. So maybe they had they had the idea of fighting in close quarters or they had the idea of fighting in this particular set and they needed a martial arts to actually suit that. And of course, you know, Wing Chun is going yeah, to be the for sure. art that suits that club of fighting. Um, but you're absolutely right. Jet Li is a great example and you know, Jet Li is a great practitioner and you know these guys are brilliant at looking at martial arts even if they haven't practiced them, studied them themselves at uh, just taking little bits and they understand the principles of martial arts in general so they understand how to you know apply these movements and yes there is some wonderful use of the elbow close quarter control and striking of the elbow in that scene so yeah you're absolutely right i'd forgotten about that actually but yeah you're right unleashed uh, there's a lovely little wing chung cameo there
1: i remember you saying you wanted to talk about acrobatics versus martial arts training what did you want to talk about there
0: well, I think I just think in and this is again now. Look, you're going to be you're going to have two divisions here in in, in many regards in terms of the people who listen to your podcast. So I think it's like it's almost like those new Star Wars movies, you know people who are born in a particular area they kind of gravitate towards the movies that were that were made for them you know like for I think sure, if you're for sure. if you're you're born in the 80s or you're watching movies in the 80s you know the Star Wars of the original 80s are always gonna be the ones that you love and the other ones are gonna be crap and I think a lot of people maybe in the martial arts circle seem to have a similar type of you know and it's, that's just human beings and it's just you know likes and dislikes and where you know movies are made for modern audiences they're not really made for uh, I don't know how old you are Hardy, but they're certainly not made for me anymore because they're um, being made for you know kids and 14 year olds up today, um, but I do I do think if you look at the difference between modern Hong Kong uh, so not even modern but even like the Jet Li movies of the early uh, 2000s um, and the movies of the 80s and 70s um, coming from um, uh, Shaw Brothers and Golden Harvest in particular and um, there was a massive difference in the in the way in which martial arts have been depicted on screen, simply because the practitioners, the actors, um, were trained very differently. And I think the, I think I think *Prodigal Son's a very good example, but not just the *Prodigal Son*. Uh, you know, a lot of the the, um, the old movies uh, from Golden Harvest and Sammo Hung, like uh, *Knockabout* or even *Mr. Vampire*. Those movies, um, you know, star. Uh, uh, martial arts practitioners who actually were trained as opera singers. Now we're talking about Chinese opera as opposed to what you know Western people might think of when they think of opera. Uh, and Chinese opera, of course, is a you know a hugely acrobatic, hugely and distinctly melodic um, art form that I'm not sure many many Western audiences would have uh, experience with. Um, but the acrobats and the acrobatics involved, and the the coordination of the very subtly complex dance moves that these guys were trained in. Um, it really did lead to, um, as far as I'm concerned, the best generation of movie kung fu um, that we'd ever seen because these guys were coming out of the opera theater, uh, trained opera um, performers at a time in the early 70s when opera, Chinese opera, was on the on the uh, waning, I suppose, as a, as a popular um, uh, pastime. And as a result, they needed a job. So they flooded into the Chinese um action movie market and ended up doing Hong Kong movies. Um, but these guys understood movement. and, you know, I'm a psychologist myself. I've, I've studied the psychology of motion, the psychology of action a lot because i am naturally interested in this type of stuff. And, you know, I often uh, remarked that, you know, dancers have probably the most sophisticated dancers of any ilk have the most sophisticated understanding of movement. Um, uh, uh, out there than perhaps any other practitioner of any other art form, which is why I always love watching dancers on movies. Uh, and this isn't just apply to Chinese movies. I think if you look at American movies, you know, if you look at American movies that involve sports or athletics or fighting, um, the the dance trained actors, like for example um, Wesley Snipes. We often talk. I, I don't know of Wesley Snipes. I don't, as I said, a lot of my mates aren't really particularly into uh, martial arts cinema. But Wesley Snipes, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best American. Uh, martial arts movie practitioners that we've ever seen, um, and he started as a dancer. And um, Patrick Swayze in *Roadhouse*, you know, like you'd laugh because you say Patrick Swayze is a martial artist. He didn't even study martial arts, but he was a dancer. Um, all these guys came from a discipline where they were. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. is another actor. If you ever watch him on screen, there's an old movie called *Gladiator* in 1993, boxing movie. You watch the way he moves on screen, moves in relation to the camera. He just had a better understanding of where the camera was and how to how his movements would look best on that camera. Uh, And I think the Chinese opera performers had that. They understood that. They understood moving in relation to a fixed point, i.e. the audience or the camera. And they understood how to make their movements look clearer and more sophisticated to that fixed point. Um, And I think if you watch the way in which the the Chinese opera practitioners work in the Chinese Hong Kong movies, particularly in the Prodigal Song, and particularly um, with Lam Ching-Ying, who is probably the most steeped upper performer of all the martial art actors. Um, I think it's it's hard to sort of argue against that. Now, I'm sure people will, and I've no problem if people argue against that. Everybody's entitled to their own, their own opinion. But I think it comes down, down to the amount of movements that a person can remember and perform with fluidity in any given shot and i, I used to i did this as a, as a as a interesting exercise i used to count the amount of um movements uh single movements uh, sort of whether they be joined in, in fluid transition uh or whether it be a stop start motion uh, that Lam ching ying would would uh, execute in any given shot and i usually uh, worked out between 18 and 20 in in the more uh, action-oriented scenes, like the the burning of the of the um, the opera uh, troupe, uh, I think it was up to about thirty movements per shot that ching Ying was uh, was executing in any given shot. Uh, and then, if you go back and you look at maybe Jet Li movies of the early two thousands, you'll watch maybe about uh, between um, eight and uh, a dozen movements per shot. Um, And then if you go to the American martial artists like the Wesley Snipes or well, no, actually Snipes did a a, a little bit more. Snipes actually pushed the limit. But if you look at the likes of Steven Seagal, who I enjoy, I like Steven Seagal movies, or Jean-Claude Van Damme. Again, I like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. You'd be hard pushed to see or to find a shot with more than uh, five or six movements in it. Um, and I think it's the amount of movements, I think if you look at the opera performers, they had no problem memorizing these really complicated um, choreographed uh, sequences of movements. And then when it came to actually you know, uh, applying that to martial arts, I always felt it just looked a lot more fluid uh, and a lot more impressive and awe-inspiring than maybe... Um, uh, actors who weren't trained in dancing and I just think it's a real shame that we've lost that um, the, the the actors of the modern era you know Chinese opera died away really it's still there like obviously it's still in China but it, it's not as prominent as it was uh, the people who are now becoming Hong Kong action movie stars are no longer being trained in Chinese opera uh, certainly not to the same extent and as a result we just have a different type of uh, movie kung fu than we used to have in the 80s and 90s. No, I don't think if I don't know if anyone else noticed this, um, but it's something that I've always noticed and I've always lamented.
1: What a funny way to enter!
0: Might be a new style, but I'm not impressed.
1: Don't be so anxious, boy. Your turn will come. Just wait backstage.
0: Like, I understand when I watched The Prodigal Sun*, I I watched the, 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 you know, back in 1981, Golden Harvest, they had a a very small studio uh, and they used the same set over and over again. The sets aren't very sophisticated. And I know a lot of my friends, when I try and push them towards this movie, they balk at the way it looks, um, and for me, there's almost—I—I I, I don't just say I'm not just willing to ignore that, but there's actually a nostalgic love of seeing that set. i, I love seeing it. it; makes me feel it makes the movie even better for me. Uh, and yeah, so for that reason, we always have to bear in mind that you know movies are made for different generations. But I do think I do think that if you just go back to those movies from the '80s, the '70s, the '80s, and the '90s, and if you look at the the martial art the, the fight sequences. The, the, the speed and ferocity of the exchanges and the accuracy of the exchanges, I don't think it's ever been replicated. I don't think we will see anything as quick and as powerful and as fast and as accurate and exact Um Uh, not unless, you know, the actors who are uh, going to, uh, who are becoming the new modern Hong Kong movie stars or uh, Kung Fu movie stars, not unless they actually go back and do some sort of movement training. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, dancing, but learning long complicated sequences of movements and learning how to apply them to a, a fixed point. I think that, you know, that's something that for our generation anyway, we were spoiled rotten with. Why didn't you attack me? Now
1: remember, expect no quarter, and furthermore give none. Get up! Right. Another part of, of sort of your makeup, uh, Derek, is that you're also a writer, and uh, you have written, um, or you're working on it on a trilogy at the moment, aren't you? So tell us a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, and again, I don't have to jump too far to um, explain why I'm doing it. I suppose it's um, uh, it's I have written a couple of wuxia novels um over the last few years. Um, I've, again, I think I mentioned the first film that got me into martial arts cinema was was Zoo Warriors. Um, followed by Mr. Vampire. Now, Mr. Vampire is a more traditional. The, the fight sequences are a lot more traditional in terms of um, uh, what we what, what we think about when we think about kung fu on screen. Uh, but certainly, Zoo Warriors was one of the sort of. Um, wasn't, but it was by no means the first uh, wuxia, uh, hi, basically, uh, high-wire or wire-fighting movie. Uh, Touch of Zen, actually, is, I think is probably the earliest movie I've come across that, and basically gave us wire-fighting, or what we classically refer to as wuxia-style uh, martial arts. Um uh, but, yeah, so from the early days of my martial arts interest, I was always really interested in, you know, uh, Wuxia, not in terms of practicing, obviously. I'm not one of those crazy people who believes we have uh, levels of ki that can allow us to jump over buildings and fly across buildings. But certainly the way it's depicted on screen, I always loved the way that's done. And that got me very early on into uh, Wuxia novels written by, you know, Wu Dang, who wrote Crash and Dogger Hidden Dragon. But more particularly, um, uh, Jin Yong, who passed away recently, you know, Generally regarded as you know, the sort of the godfather of the of the um, of the genre, he wrote all the most famous uh, wuxia novels, you know, which have been made and remade into TV series and movies over in China um, ad nauseum since uh, the nineteen sixties onwards, nineteen fifties onwards, even since, as he when he was actually writing his serials in his newspaper in Hong Kong, which eventually were put together as books. Uh, so wuxia was always very close to my heart. Um, I uh, was in hospital a few years ago uh, for I got a, a pretty bad uh, virus in my heart and uh, I was um uh, basically housebound I was hospital bound for two months and housebound for a few months after that and I decided you know I'm going i either gonna go crazy or I'm gonna do something so I decided to write a couple of books and um, yeah so I, I decided to write who in particular because I had exhausted bush is isn't uh, a very um Wide-ranging genre. There's only a really a few, a handful of you know, keystone books, and um, the genre very much, very quickly morphed into zhangia Wusha means um, uh, martial hero, kind of like the Knights Errant of the East. Uh, zhangia is a mortal hero, which is you know, gods fighting gods and lightning bolts, you know, coming out of eyes and things like that. Um, I, you know, Xianxia is fine. I like it, but I, I've never liked it as much as I liked uh, Wusha. And because the, the genre was quite small and there was only a, a handful of books compared to the amount of entries there are into the genre, the genre I decided to, um, you know, write my own wisher novels, basically just to uh, stop myself going insane, but also to, you know, uh, to do something that I... sort of delve into an area or a world or a universe I've always loved. Uh, and it was, as a result, I got a book out of it, and then I got a second book out of it. And um, amazingly enough, I really enjoyed it. They were huge books. I think the, the genre in, in general is... Um, Typically, you know, uh, you you write large novels and it's it's young adult, it's YA, um, and, you know, young adults adults these days expect long, long tomes uh, for their book. Um, and, you know, I, I figured if I can write these books uh, such long, big books and enjoy it and, you know, apply myself to it, I may as well do a few more. So there is a trilogy in the works. So I've got the, the two books, the first two books have been published. Uh, I self-published them on Amazon. Um, they're, they're the, it's the Frog and the Well trilogy. The first book is Earthly Dragon, Soaring Palm. And the second is uh, Divine Tiger, uh, Heaven Palm. Obviously, there's a a thematic relationship between the titles Um, and the novels are, you know, very much, you know, of the ilk of Jin Jin Yong, maybe a little bit more fantastic than the types of Wu Dang, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon stories that maybe most Western people will be familiar with. Um, and there is a the third book I have outlined uh, but I've got it on hold at the moment because I've decided to go back a little bit more to my own roots and at the moment I'm writing a kind of Celtic Wuja. I'm taking more classic uh, Celtic type, type of storytelling but you know applying the russia model of describing martial arts and martial arts fighting um, and so that is what I'm working on at the moment so the, the trilogy won't be completed for a couple of years at least um, there's another book to come out unrela- unrelated to the trilogy before that
1: I know people are going to be interested to find out more about that after they've heard this uh, podcast episode. So I'm going to give all your contact details towards the end. But as you mentioned, those books, uh, the ones that have been written, are available on Amazon. Uh, So I'll give those details out towards the end of the podcast. So we've talked a lot about the prodigal son today and I know we could carry on talking about this all night uh, but I've got two questions for you. So there's two things I want to I, I want to do. It's something I started on the previous episode. Uh, two new little things I'm, I'm bringing into the, into the podcast. The first one is called Hans Island. This question here for you is if you were stranded on Hans Island and you could only take one movie with you which you had to watch, that's the only film you've got, uh, you got to watch it until you're rescued uh what movie would that be
0: and obviously it can't be the prodigal son because we've talked about that too much already in this podcast um i would say um probably Touch touches in i think is um from a you know a chinese movie point of view i think uh i don't think movies get much better than that i think it's it was the first movie i saw i saw it as a teenager again and um, without really knowing what to expect and was just mesmerized by that i remember the opening scene uh, it's just basically a long, it's a wide shot of, um, sorry, it's a medium uh, width shot of a cobweb. And the camera just lasts on the cobweb for about two minutes as as I, I think dawn is breaking in the background. And uh, it's just a film that is, now I have a very scratchy copy of it, so it may not even be dawn breaking, it just could be just the, the lighting uh, fading in and out. Um, but it's a movie that um, struck me and in many ways it's a martial arts movie to an extent it's very early uh, in terms of um, when it was made i think it was made in the, the, the 70s so it's a, the early 70s so it's a very early example of, of uh, martial arts on screen um, but it was certainly is it's the earliest movie i can remember that it depicts kind of wuxia and um flying kung fu on screen but there isn't a lot of that it's more just the idea and the the the, the the sort of the, the slow sort of thematic evolution of the movie and there's a there's a, a character, a central character who isn't a hero, who's a bit of a coward. And he's been um, sort of co-opted into a sort of rebellion that the Shaolin monks are, um, you know, helping or aiding or supporting. Um, And it's a strange film. It's a very unusual film. It's a film that would catch your attention in many number of ways, but particularly from the way in which it's directed, the way in which it's lit, the way in which it's written, the way in which it's acted out. but it's well, certainly for me, anyway. It's um, one of the most remarkable films I've ever seen. And again, as I said, like there's, a, like I'm a movie fan in general, um, uh, and not necessarily um, uh, just a kung fu movie fan. And uh, the uh, A Touch of Zen is one of the films, one of the few films out of any genre, from any era, from any culture. That really just stopped me dead in my tracks, and it's a movie that I've gone back to. Uh, it's one of the movies that I actually stop myself from going back to too often, because, you know, a lot, like many of us, we we, we re-watch many of our favourite films to the point of uh, not being able to see them anymore, because they, we kind of get too used to them. So this is one of the few movies that I actually don't allow myself to re-watch uh, too often, because I want it to be as fresh and uh, inspiring as it was the first time I saw it. So I suppose if I was... Uh, And if I'm limiting myself to Hong Kong movies, because as I said, my movie taste is quite broad, um, I would probably uh, go with A Touch of Zen.
1: Okay, so before we get to the end of the podcast, Derek, we have to do uh, the traditional part of each uh, episode, which is called The Fight Box. And this is where you get to uh, pick a fight scene, uh, maybe one that we obviously haven't talked about already today. Uh, one fight scene that you would recommend to a um, maybe someone new to martial arts cinema, or someone like us who's grown up with martial arts cinema but maybe has forgotten about this specific fight scene in a uh, in a, in a movie. So, what fight scene would that be? Now, this doesn't have to be your favorite film of all time it just needs to be a particular fight scene that you think is a is standout now i know we've talked about prodigal son so we can't obviously go back there and choose a prodigal son uh, fight scene so which other fight scene from another movie would you suggest is one that um, the listeners need to go check out if they haven't already done so
0: i have to i just have to preface, preface this Hardy, with the the uh, acknowledgement that i would have been naming a scene from The Prodigal Son in the same way that I would have been taking The Prodigal Son with me to that island. Of course, Um, of course. Well, for the sake of you know variety and and not being boring, and God knows I can be boring when it comes to the topic of the prodigal son. Um, yes, no, for the sake of that, uh, we should mention something else. But actually, funny enough, like I think like most people who are into martial arts, you know, you'll never just have one scene that you'll be able to. You'll like you'll name your top five, and then you'll the next day you'll remember three or four more. And you'll you'll be kicking yourself for not mentioning them, and you know we will always have you know uh, an endless choice of of scenes that you can pick. And again, not just movies in um you know the martial art genre. Like I think there's some great fight scenes, for example, and you know, even just um I was watching the other day the weekend with my kids, I was watching um the Two Towers and Gandalf oh, sorry, it must be Fellowship of the Ring. I think yeah, Gandalf was fighting um Saruman and the two of them are having a wizard fight. You, know, you never talk about how wizards would fight old men, wizards fighting and they, they they end up you know throwing each other across the room, their staff I remember just being sitting back going, Christ that was a, a fantastic scene um, but certainly I think if you were to name a fight scene or a fight scene that has affected me the most or the fight scene that I think about when people say amazingly made fight scenes, I am going to name a scene that is a little bit esoteric and I've seen that um, maybe not a lot of people have seen but I certainly hope on the back of this they will go and get it out um, it is a martial art movie, um, not necessarily what what people classically think of when they think of martial arts because we're talking about uh, samurai swordplay here but samurai swordplay obviously is martial arts um, but uh, there's a movie called uh, Shogun Samurai now it's a really obscure movie it's not a movie that a lot of people know about uh, it was made in oh, Late 70s, uh, I think. Uh, it stars Sonny Chiba, who a lot of people, if they're not into martial arts, will know about uh, because he was in uh, uh, the Kill Bill movies playing a number of different characters, and most notably Pai Mai, who was. You know, fantastic. He was fantastic as in that film. Uh, but Sonny Chiba is in the Yagu clan conspiracy or Shogun Samurai. It's also known as the Yagu clan conspiracy. It's a, like many has uh, Shogun-based films, um, or Japanese Shogun-based films, it's based loosely on events um, that surrounded the, uh, the sort of, you know, triumvirate of, of leaders um, around the 1600s. Um, uh It's based on the Yagu clan who themselves are uh, the sword masters and who were, in fact, actually the sword masters and sword advisors uh, to the Tokakua uh, shogunate. Um, and it's about the Yagou clan trying to maintain their control or, or their position as the, as the preeminent sword family in the country, um, uh, while there's a lot of um, machinations and um, intrigue going on between the actual the Shogun and his brother. Um, it's a fascinating film. I love the film in many ways, and I love the film for its fascinating plot, and I love the film for the way in which the characters play against each other. Sonny Sheep is brilliant. Um, but in particular, uh, you've got Kinesuki Nakimura who plays the Yagu clan leader, uh, or Yagi Tajima, who I think is the, the, the character or the real-life person who he was actually playing. Um, Chiba plays his son, the kind of um, more brute, strong samurai, not necessarily as spiritual as his father, but as, spiritu- as spiritual as his father is, he's also extremely cunning and a little bit devious, not necessarily the nicest of... Of main characters, if you will, um, but anyway, to cut a long story short, there is a uh, scene in that in the film which the entire movie builds up to, and it builds up to in a brilliant way, uh, in that you just don't know which way is going to go, um, where Yagyu um, Kinosuke Nakamura is uh, facing off against his um, main enemy, who himself is the leader of a sword clan, and he wants his sword clan to be the preeminent sword clan, and he's backed the other brother. Um, and the two of them meet and up until this point and I don't think it's giving away anything up until this point Yagyu has refused to fight him on the basis that the sword plan, the teacher to the shogun was never they were they used, to, they used to be referred to I think the most direct translation is the fencing teacher as fencing teacher to the shogun he was never allowed to fight or engage in any duels because if he lost it would be shameful to the shogun um, so he has used that as a as a as as an excuse throughout the film not to fight his arch nemesis uh, and the movie then comes to a crescendo where he ends up being um forced to fight Nemesis and there is a sequence which lasts maybe only 30 seconds it's a, it's a fight scene it's a, a samurai it's a duel samurai duel but not like any samurai duel you've ever seen the closest I can think of that will come to will be the end of Sanjiro when Toshiro um you know is is, is extraordinary again I'm, I'm my, my close contact leanings are showing he's extraordinarily close to the protagonist and um, and played by Tatsuya Nakadai, um, and he draws a sword really quickly, and you know there's a brief moment of, of, of a burst of of movement, and that's the entire fight scene. This uh, fight scene in *Shogun Samurai* would be the closest I could come to that uh, in describing it uh, for those who've never seen the film. But I definitely think if you get a chance. Uh, Yagu Clan Conspiracy their Shogun Samurai whatever, whatever it's called on whatever platform you have, if it's even available, I doubt it's available on any streaming pla- on any of the main streaming platforms but certainly it's worth digging out the DVD or the Blu-ray if you can get your hands on it uh, and buying a copy because for me, it's the most explosive the most arresting um, fight sequence I've ever seen, like it literally I sat up when it happened and went oh my god, and then rewatched it, and then Made myself not rewatch it for another two years so that it would be just as explosive the next time I watched it. Um, so, yeah, that would be my uh, fight scene of choice if you were to force me to go outside the realms of the Prodigal Son. I'm
1: writing that down now because I know the title and I even know the the film cover but i don't remember um i don't remember watching the movie so i'm writing that down uh to put on my list to dig out um and i have a lot of friends who've got quite extensive dvd collections so i'm uh, big japanese fans and uh, korean uh, cinema fans so i know one of them will have that dvd so i'm gonna make a note of that that's definitely going on my watch list and uh, I'm hoping that other listeners are obviously uh, are adding the movies we've talked about today onto their watch list also.
0: Well, the, exactly. And that's what I love about these podcasts and I love about, you know, when you follow people on Twitter or Facebook, you know, if they're into the movies you're into, they're at some point going to mention movies that you've never heard of. And all of a sudden they're going to open up a whole new avenue of movies that, you know, is, you know you'll know, you get two or three months uh, of genuine excitement out of. And then you'll get, you know, years and years of rewatchable uh, are re-watching out of as well. But, um, yeah, no, certainly I think the samurai films, especially martial art fans, I think there's there's often a division between what we see as martial art movies and samurai movies. Um, and I don't think there should be because the exact same issues are at stake. The exact same uh, ideology and themes are in play. It's all about perfection. It's all about understanding the movement of the body and conquering basically your own inner demons. And, you know, cinema is, is one big genre as far as I'm concerned. Everybody's learning off each other. They're all saying telling similar stories but just different contexts and you know I always look I always love to find a martial arts story in a movie that isn't martial arts based uh, or isn't even a martial art movie um, because, you know, it's an unusual thing to be able to, uh, to to talk about, but also be able to point friends who aren't into martial art movies towards that movie. You know, thinking about something like David Mamet's Red Belts, for example, you know, it's not what you would class as a martial art movie, um, but if you watch it, you certainly would want to watch martial art movies after that. So, I think, you know, where possible, always try and expand your horizons. I'm always doing, I'm always looking to you guys to, to recommend movies that I haven't thought about, that I can hurry out and, and watch and... Um, just because it, it's better for me, it's more things for me to watch. I don't have to rewatch one of my beloved movies over and over again and wear them out. I can watch a different movie.
1: Derek, what can I say? It's been an absolute pleasure. It feels like I've been a, I've, t- I've took a film studies class. Uh, it was that good. I feel like I'm going to go back <laughs> and write down some that. And that's a real, real compliment. You know, uh, it's been a fantastic. And I, this is something that, you know, when I get guests, I want them to, you know, to, to tell me something that I don't know about. Um, not, not that I'm, I'm an authority on all things martial arts related, uh, I'm not. Like the samurai films, I don't know about at all so the stuff you're mentioning I'm already writing a note down and I'm going to be looking into this so um, I want to thank you so much for your time today I've I've, I've learned so much uh, and I've also had an opportunity to, uh, to relive The Prodigal Son which is one of my absolute favourite films uh, of all time um, so before I let you go I know the listeners are going to be more interested to find out a little bit more about yourself uh, can you let us know how can people get in contact with you uh, online uh, I know you're on Twitter if you got if you if you wish to just maybe let people know how they can get get in contact with you,
0: yeah. Well, I'm on Twitter. I think you said you might post my handle there. It's just it's just my name. That's the great thing about having an unusual surname. You don't um, uh, you don't have to fight for Twitter handle. So it's at Derek Doris uh, is my Twitter handle. I'm on Facebook as well. Again, there's not many of us with the name Derek Doris so on Facebook. There is an American footballer out there. Um, but there's me and him, basically, as far as I know, um, I don't tend to be online as much lately, but I, that's just temporary. It's just I find it a very weird place at the moment. Facebook and Twitter is. Um, nobody seems to be able to disagree with anyone anymore. And um, I do. I have a very limited uh, follow uh, people. A number of people I follow on Twitter. Uh, you are one of them. Um, and I would just like actually to say thank you back to you because, you know, since following your, um, uh, your Twitter feed and indeed your podcast and, of course, other people like you, um, you know, I'm, you know, as I said, I'm learning. You guys know a lot more about Hong Kong movies than I do, and I'm picking up these movies from you guys. I'm watching them off the back of your shows, and um, so it goes right back at you. You know, you know. If you, if I gave you a bit of an inkling to watch a samurai movie, brilliant. And I hope it becomes your next passion because it'll be a rewarding one. Um, but it's, you know, it's no more than you guys have done for me in terms of uh, the way in which you've talked about um, so eloquently talked about Hong Kong movies um, uh, on your podcast, and indeed just in the in the in the in the natural back and forth on Twitter and so on and so.
1: Thank you so much, Derek. So, uh, And also, um, in regards to those people who are interested in finding out a little bit more about your books, do you have a website or or should they just go find you
0: on on Amazon? Yeah, you'll find my author page on Amazon. um, And, you know, just as I said, if you're interested in in Wuxia, you know, again, for martial art fans, and it's an interesting thing about martial art fans, you know, they, they, they tend to watch martial art movies but not read martial art fiction, which is an unusual Reality and it probably was true for true of me for years as well. I was certainly watching martial art movies long before I started reading the books. Um, but you know, there's a whole world there to explore. And I'm not just plugging my own books, in fact, I'm not even plugging my own books. Like, go and look at the the, the, the Condor trilogy from Jin Yong. Um, you know, this guy is talking about Kung Fu, he's talking about Kung Fu fighters. Now, yes, it's extraordinary, it's, it's um, fantastic. And um, if you're into more normal. Kung Fu more sort of grounded you know have a look at Wu Dang he's a good author for that type of thing Uh, but Gu Long or Jin Yong. Um, you know they're they're magical authors and they describe martial arts in such a magical way that anyone with a with an inkling and in with an inkling to, towards kung fu or any of the martial arts will be fascinated by it. Um, so just that was just a side issue. What to say rather than just trying to put my own book, actually I'm trying to plug the genre wushu in general. It really needs martial arts fans to embrace it because it's it's kind of dying. Um, but yeah, so uh, you'll you'll find my novels on uh, Amazon. I self-published uh, up until now. I've only self-published, uh, so they're only on Amazon. Um, but if you Want to keep keep track of any books that I'm releasing or any books I might have in the pipeline? You can keep keep my author page um, handy. Maybe follow it if you're on if you're logged into your Amazon uh, app. Uh, you can you can follow my author page from there.
1: Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, I wish you all the best with all your future
0: projects. Thank you very much, Hardeep. And you know, I'd love to talk to you again, even if it's uh, about the prodigal (laughs) sun. Who knows?